Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock. Excited to have with me today, Janine McConaughey. No relation to Matthew. <laughs> missing an end. Right. <laughs> yes. I know we talked about it. I I made sure to pronounce your name right. So I'm going to switch over here for just a second and I'm going to read your bio because I love it. Your, your mission statement. It's your mission statement. So it is to articulate both positive and negative effects of early nurturing and experiences on lifelong behavior and thinking patterns while promoting effective educational, spiritual, and therapeutic methods for the healing of inadequate attachment and childhood trauma. Amen. That's it. That's and that's it. wonderful. So bottom line is, you know, childhood trauma, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because attachment, attachment before the trauma, it all ties in together. It's all mixed together. Right. Right. Well, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you wrote a book entitled Brave, and it's a personal story of healing childhood trauma, which is exactly what we were just talking about. So yes, yeah, so talk to us about Brave and, and what inspired you, what moved you to write it. Well, I think I have to begin with my story of how I got to Brave. And so um, I had completed uh, almost a 40-year career in education, um, 33 years in higher education. I was a teacher educator. And so that is what I spent most of my life doing is preparing teachers for the classroom. And uh, I knew, I had always known that I had issues with depression, that there were times in my life I... I was so completely that I, I always said that I was living above something. I never knew what it was, but I always said I was living above something. And my final year of um, teaching, I, uh, it, I knew it was getting worse. In fact, I, I had to request that I do completely online teaching because I have, have it starting to have problems in the classroom and so forth. And so I uh, ended up going to therapy and that uh, turned my world upside down because within a few sessions, it was clear that something had happened to me, something terrible had happened to me as a child, and that I was living my life um, with dissociative coping mechanisms. And that whatever had happened to me, which took us some time to get to, had fractured, it, it occurred before the sense of self was established. And it had fractured me into pieces. And, and as abuse continued, and I, and I want to say that I had this perfect story about my childhood because my dad was a preacher, my mom, and he was my hero. I just want to say that right up front because it's always, oh, was it your dad? No, it was never my dad. My mother, my mother suffered um, from something and um, had mental health issues my whole life. And so, um, but I grew up in the you know, 1950s, 1960s. I had a great church family. You know, I was, I was a good student. You know, no one ever suspected. And it was my determination to be normal. I didn't want anyone to know that there was something, something, well, there wasn't something wrong with me. Something bad happened to me. 
So anyway, back to therapy. I, go, I show up to therapy with this wonderful story. And within five sessions, um, and the therapist used EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, saved my life. But in the midst of one of the those EMDR therapy sessions, um, she asked me to come back to my adult self. And I said, which one? Oh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and she was... She was always very calm. She said, there's more than one? And I said, oh, yes, there's three adults. And, and I can go home and I can describe them for you and I'll come back with descriptions. And we were off to the races. And so, um, so, my, so Brave, the book I wrote, it began with as, as my processing um, I, I'm a writer. And so the way to healing for me was to write, to write and write and write. And I had this amazingly dedicated therapist who read everything that I wrote for three solid years. Um, and, uh, and used it to help us with the therapy process. But in the midst of that, I, it, it created a book. Wow. And so, um, so the so brave is actually my three year intensive therapy journey. So it's my story, but it's really everything that I learned about trauma and attachment and and repression because I had repressed everything and I had pieces of it. That's a really interesting part. Was I I knew exactly what happened in a situation up to the point where I was abused. I was standing at a gate, I was walking into a room, I, I remembered pieces of it. And so when we got to the memory, I'm like, oh, I realized that, that I was like a little girl with a superhuman cape on me, you know, and I would just create a different story. No, that, that isn't what I want that to end like. I'm just going to create a different story wow. about it. And so all the memories were there, but not this central core of the abuse. So my, so brave is really my journey of learning who I, who I was and what happened to me. Wow. Beautiful. I mean, beautiful. I, I say beautiful, but only because what a journey and what a gift it was. I too did EMDR. I did four years, 98 sessions. Um, and it was during EMDR for the first time that my therapist said the word, you know, cope, you coped with dissociation. And I was like, what do you mean? I, I, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah. No. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, I remember her telling me, you know, and I, I equated it to the do remember the Dewey decimal system at the library and the little drawers, you know, you'd pull them out you'd have to flip through the cards and find your book and go find it on the shelf. And, I, I compartmentalized all of my traumas, um, which there were many of, um, into these little drawers. And so they were, that's how I, my little superpower was to just store them in a little box and then put them away on the shelf. And then the next one, store it in its own little box. Instead of letting them compile on top of each other, My that's how I coped. And then the other thing was, this is the dissociation part was, I would see things as if I was watching a movie, as if I was watching something happen to another little girl. Because, like watching, like you said, when you, just, when you said that about, you know, like up above, I, I would be standing in the room 
watching it happen. And I knew a powerful, powerful moment of healing for me was um, um, I was involved in two bank robberies when I was 21 and 22 by the same assailants and a coworker was murdered. And so we had gone back to the second robbery and I just remember like closing my eyes for a second and being like, Oh wow. And my therapist was like, what? And I said, I'm seeing, and I was turning my head and I said, I'm seeing this from within my own body. And it was the first time we had returned to a memory and I was I was back in my own body and that was crazy. <laughs> like I was no longer watching a movie. Yes. Yeah. To get, to get our memories back and to own them. Yeah. And to us. That's really, well, that's. I, the first time that I realized that I, that I was floating, that I was watching um, was, was really a, you know, not even a super traumatic. My brother was 10 years older than I was. He was my hero. I just, he's still my hero but um he got married when I was in the fifth grade and my whole life I told the story that I was so upset about him getting married that I that I didn't go sit with the family I went and sat in the balcony and watched the wedding oh and, um, <laughs> one day in therapy I I felt myself walking in and sitting in the pew right at the wedding and my parents were all lined up next to me and and I, I thought, wait, wait, I did, I was, and I, and I wrote my brother, I said, did the church have a balcony? <laughs> and he was like, no, no, not have a balcony. And that was when I began to realize that, that when I thought I was hovering over something, that it was dissociation. And so kind of an odd way for me to to make that realization. And then I began to realize that, that I blocked the, the core memory and, and went on with my stories that, that weren't that, I mean, that wasn't that they weren't true, I guess there was just something missing. And I escaped. I always said, right. I always said, um, there was one where, where I was raped as a freshman in college and, and I, which I want to say that, um, those, Girls who experience childhood abuse, the statistic is like 60% of them will be raped as freshmen in college. And so, um, and so many people have a story of what happened to them at that age when they got off and got independent, but they didn't have, they didn't have any way to protect themselves and they were dissociative and all sorts of things. So anyway, I, I, I said that, that he took me um, out to, to the river and that, um, and, and started groping me. And I, and I was like, I don't want you to do that. And I need you to take me home right now. And he did. And really? so that was your memory. That was my memory, right? That I, I remembered all the way to that point. And so that was just a kind of, I mean, that's a great example of how I did that. You know, that I would remember the memory is, and my, my therapist, we often said that I kept clues for myself that when the time came for me to heal, I mean, I had boxes that I would go in and find clues that, um, that I, because I would be in therapy and I said, I have something in a box. She was fascinated. What do you have in the box this time? <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. You know what? Look, I'm going to do it. And I don't normally don't do this, but see that box? Yes. That's my box of clues. Is it? Oh my yes. gosh. I mean, it's filled with, 
notes and letter. That's crazy. I've never heard anybody else talk about it before, but that's yeah. my box. Like it has. Yes. And I, um, so I had within my dissociative system, which it's always a system and it's, it's all created to protect yourself. I had a little girl who had carried a box to a basement and she, um, and, and she was molested. And so that box, she put the memory in the box and then that became part of my system. She was a little girl in my system who took all the memories and put them in boxes. And she was the one, like she collected the, the clues. So yeah, so that story in, is really in my two books of how um, I had to help her realize that that didn't need to be her job anymore, that we had, but we kept going back and finding boxes. And so, um, so not only did I carry that I actually carry a box with me, but I, but I had boxes um, that I carried physically with me. Right, right. Since yeah. I was a child, and so, um, and and some of some of it, once I processed the whole memory, I was able to say, "I can let you go now. Thank you for helping me." You know, yeah. <laughs> right? You brought me joy. You helped me to the memory, and now. yeah. And so, um, yeah, we had boxes. That's awesome. That's crazy <laughs> awesome. Right. And, and re, you know, what it's all about is resilience and the yeah. power of resilience. And, and I think, at least in my opinion, is that the way you coped was, was surely a sign that you were an extremely resilient, you know, child. Um, and then you know, along your whole journey. Um, right. Yeah. And I think it's important to realize that a child can be resilient and not healed. Yes. And so one of my chapters in my second book, which is a brave, um, Jeannie's Brave Childhood. And, um, and that's just completely my story of, um, I, I'm connected with the Attachment and Trauma Network. And uh, I've spoken at two of their conferences and I blog for them. And one of the things that, that I do is to help them understand the behaviors of children. So my, my degrees were heavy in child development and educational psychology and so forth. And so I had this background of, to really take what I learned from my story. So, um, so one of my chapters in the second book is when, when, um, when survival looks like resilience. And so, so we were surviving by using dissociative coping mechanisms and we, it, Yes, it's resilience, but it doesn't mean that it healed. Right, no, right. Right? And so that's one of the points that I'm trying to, I'm working on my third book now. And one of the points I'm trying to make, it's about my adult life. And, one of, and I want to say that just because you're surviving doesn't mean that that's how it's supposed to be. Right. And that healing can take it from surviving to where you're actually thriving and you're, but resilience is what gets us through. Yes. And, um, and I think that the research, the research tells us that resilience is really because you had one person who, you know, there was, there was one person who believed in you and, and that would have been my dad, you know, and my brother, but you know, my dad, um, he, uh, I dedicate the second book to him and, um, because his belief in me and who I was and, 
you know, I was the third child and I was the little girl and he loved me. And I start out brave with, with the story of how he, he would tell me, you, Jeannie, you can be brave. I need you to be brave. And so um, that really, you know, there's a lot that goes around about being brave, but it comes out of my story because of my dad telling me um, that he needed me to be brave. And asking me really to sometimes to take on an adult role to take care of my mother, um, which, which I should not have had to take on. Right. But, you know, it's right. what it is. So um, he had hard choices to make. Very, yes. very difficult choices. So. Yeah, I get it. We talked about it a little bit before, before recording. Yeah. You know, it, when you get into those codependent roles of um, caring for your parent <laughs> as yeah. a child yeah a child. you know it was really interesting because when um i have a friend who is a child therapist and she read she read brave she's one of the endorsers for this and for the book and and she stopped me as her and you know as she's giving comments she said she said you your dad asked you to be brave but that was not something that a little child should have had to do and I'm like, you're right. And so I added, there's a statement in that brave story of the stairway, him teaching me how to go up and down stairs. But there's, but it's then later he asked me to be brave when I was in, in the emergency room. And um, because my mother, my mother, I, tr I was, I was my mother's trigger. And many times, um, when we talk about parenting with PTSD, many times our own children can become our triggers. And so one of my missions is to uh, help women heal before we repeat the generational patterns. And uh, so, so anyway, but he did, he asked me to be brave that day. And I was a little girl who had been abused and I was in the emergency room and I was the one being asked to be brave. Oh, well, my mother, right. That's a tragic part of the story. So, um, yeah, so that, that where we have to take on the roles that the adults, because the adults are incapable of doing that. And, uh, that's hard. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I've talked before about, um, you know, when you were talking about resilience and thank God I had my grandma Kitty in my life. I mean, she was always there and present. And yeah, so she was, she was that who I say was my saving grace, um, if you will. Yeah. And I, and I had a, you know, my dad was physically abusive and my mom was an addict. And so, yeah, so trying to, to make my way through and, oh, thank you, Grandma Kitty for being there. So yes. wonderful. Yes. Yeah. That person. I wrote a, I wrote a piece in um, a, one of my friend's books. Um, and, and I talk about the church as being part of my support group, even though, even though my, it was a, it was a two-sided thing because a lot of my abuse occurred by people who were in the church and who were in the church. And so that was a dark side of it, but the bright side of it were all the wonderful people who thought I was amazing. Right. And they loved me and they took care of me and they, you know, so, um, yeah, so I, I, uh, but it's those people in our lives that enable us to be resilient. Yes. Absolutely. And it's that, and it can be, 
you know, a teacher, it can be, um, you know, a coach, it can be just that person. It's it's almost like that unconditional support and love that, because I just, you know, I know my grandma Kitty never yelled at me. She hugged me and loved me. And she just, she just was there for me in such a sweet and gentle way. Um, which was what my chaotic little life needed. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think, and you say teachers, which is really funny that I didn't bring that, that part up is that um, I, I trained teachers for the classroom. I taught intro to education and teachers were such an important part of my story. I, I talk about that throughout both of my books. And, um, and I, I, every year when I taught intro to education, when the new group would come in, you know, I would ask them, talk about a teacher, talk about a teacher that made a difference. And they all, one year I was just, I was horrified because one student, um, she said, I never had a teacher that did that. I'm like, and you want to be a teacher? Right. (laughs) Why would you want to be a teacher if no teacher ever did that for you? Because they all had a story. Right. Unless she was saying, I want to be the one to do that because nobody ever did. That's exactly what she said to me. She said, because it wasn't fair that nobody, nobody was there for me. I want to be that teacher for someone. And it was, um, yeah, and she is. She's, she's a wonderful teacher now, and, and she's my friend on Facebook. And so I'd see she's won awards, and, you know, and oh. I'm like, yes, yes, that is exactly what you did. You turned Good for that- her. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's an interesting part of my story because I taught, I, I taught, um, I mean, I taught classroom management. I taught, and I never mentioned trauma. And I would feel bad about that, except nobody else mentioned trauma either. Right, right. It wasn't just me. It was not on our radar. You know, we were all like, well, you know, bad things happen to kids. You know, we know the kids that probably have had some bad things happen, you know, but we didn't realize it was literally changing their brain structure. Right. That it literally embedded in their bodies and that, and that they're, they were being triggered in the classroom and that's what some of their outrageous reactions were. And, and, um, and so, so I, when I finally, you know, I'm in therapy, I, I, I didn't start out wanting to be brave. I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> I, for a year, I didn't even tell anyone I was in therapy. I was like, no, I'm a, I'm a professor in a college, a Christian college, and I'm, I have it all together. <laughs> I don't want anyone to know I'm in therapy. And so I was just absolutely terrified. But when I got past that and I realized that my story could help people yeah and that and that um that if i if i could just be brave you know and i i i remember the day it was a really rough therapy day you've had those haven't you where you yes. just, today was rough this was a really rough one and and i was just sitting on the couch trying to gather myself together and get out the door which you know she my bless my therapist, she always had to figure out if there was an adult available to drive home because children would show up in therapy and she couldn't let me out the door until there was an adult that could drive. And so, um, so anyway, I, uh, I said to her, I said, if I, if I can help one person, 
if I could just help one person to not go through what I've gone through over the past few months in working, if I could help one child, if I could help to help children if I could help one person to go to therapy before they're just such a mess like I was right right. oh my goodness if I could just encourage them to get help sooner I mean I was 61 nobody should do that at 61 right that's bad yeah I was in my I was in my 40s and I I say EMDR was one of the toughest things I've ever done and yes you do it does require bravery because, you know, I had to go back into those dark spaces, but I left, I, I actually, I, I looked forward to going to sessions because I knew we were going to uncover something or I was going to discover. And because I always left exhausted, emotionally drained, but empowered. Empowered. Yeah. And you, the epiphanies that you have. In yes. Of, this was not my fault. Yes. I did not. I, I, I had. So my, my first abuse was in a daycare. I was three years old. Oh. And I was in a home daycare situation. And this man, I was groomed. Like I, when I was in EMDR, I totally, I, I could see how I was being groomed and how I had no defenses. And I had attachment issues because my mother and I never attached and I needed attention and she couldn't give it to me. And, and so I could, I could, in EMDR, you can see all of that. You can see the whole landscape, landscape of what happened and you, and I, um, but I, he asked me, he asked me, and I don't even know if I have this in the book. Um, he asked me, do you want to go out and play with the children or do you want to stay in here and I'll play blocks with you? And I said, well, I'll stay in here and play blocks with you. And so for my entire life, from the time I was three, I thought that I, that playing blocks with him was the reason I was abused, that I made a choice. And so I had chosen to be abused. And so, um, and how do you get to that without a young Right. right. Uh, I, I, I don't know how, I mean, because that was such a freeing moment for me when I realized, because choices from the very first day of therapy, I was like, oh, no, I don't have choices. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, we struggled with the issue of choices, you know, through three years of therapy. And, and I, um, even now I, I uncover things like, oh, that, that has to do with choices. <laughs> that has to do. And so, um, yeah. You have, my, you have my brain reeling right now. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, I'm, <sighs> I'm, I'm scanning. You probably see my eyes going back and forth, just like an EMDR, because I'm like scanning like, yeah, yes. that's powerful. And that's really what I do in brain. That, I mean, when in the, I am willing to, to say all of those things in yeah. order for people. And so one of my, one of my former students wrote me and goes, you wrote a people mover. You're moving people to therapy is what you're doing because they realize that there's hope that that they can go and uncover this thing that they've never understood about themselves, that they've never been able to break free of the patterns they keep repeating and that they can go and get help and they can stop having to suffer in that way. Right. um, To me, that's just so I did that. (laughs) Right. I just don't even, I don't, I um I remember the day I signed the contract, which I was contacted. I was in a group um, 
and it it was uh, and a, a friend of ours published a book and uh, and I'm just gonna say it was Tom Ward and the book his first book but his, he's written a book God can't and it's all about it's all about um, our view of God and and in our abuse and suffering it's a tremendous book so I'm just gonna give him a plug right out there all okay. right plug so, away. <laughs> but uh, any well and he talks about brave in the middle of it he has like a two <laughs> Where he talks about brave, so I, I owe him that, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but it was a very transforming, like turn my world upside down. Oh, you mean God didn't want me to be abused? And no, God never wants a child to be abused. No, never ever. And so, um, so we. I know. Oh, I done it. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> It's all good. I do it all the time on this on this podcast. People are used. My audience is used to it by now. They're like, I I call it menopause brain, and mine just goes woo. Okay, it's gone. <laughs> I mean, and when it does that, I've given up trying to trace it. You know, I can, I can so it. help you out, but I <laughs> you followed me down the path. I did. I did. You're going to be like, oh, that's what she said. It'll come. <laughs> I don't know. So, um, yeah. So I, uh, I, it's gone. It is gone. I'll ask another question and then, and then maybe if it comes back. I want to say something to that though, because before my healing journey, I would be drowning in shame right now. I would be like, Oh, you, why on earth did you do an interview? That is, Oh my, look at what you did. You know, I would be beating my self critic would be right. Oh, well, it'll come. <laughs> yeah, and that's what, that's the beauty of the healing. And I love that, that you brought that up because, yeah, it's just, you just, um, I don't know, just learn to be compassionate with yourself. And um, but my therapist called it being gentle with myself. And when I learned to be gentle with myself, wow, what a powerful gift that was. It's huge. It's, yeah. I remember going, I went to, I did so many interesting things as I was healing, but I went to a conference, an attached conference, which is, which is for therapists. You know, you can attend them, but you know, it's really for therapists. And, and so, um, I tend to, <laughs> I'm so curious. I mean, and, and Brene Brown talks about curiosity being one of the cornerstones of healing that you have to be curious about why do I feel like that? Why yeah. was so anyway, I went to this attached and I saw presenters make mistakes and, and they were all therapists and they were like, well, lost that. And they just moved on. And I'm like, they, they know how, they know how not to beat themselves up. Yeah. I mean, they, they do this every day. They help people to not drown in shame over just little human mistakes. Right. Right. It was this wonderful day of just watching every single one of them make a mistake and and not beat themselves up about it and just move on. And so that's kind of where I learned to do that, like I did today. I still don't remember what I was talking about. <laughs> it's all good. Maybe at the end you'll be like, wait, I've got it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to stop you if I come to it. All right. No, do, do. We can move on to something else. All right. So another question I have is, are there any facts or myths that you want to clarify that you've learned along your own healing journey? Um, oh, there's so many. 
but I wrote one on my, on my sheet um, when I was trying to think about how I would answer that particular question. And I think um, dissociative disorders are so, um, the, the media portrays them in such awful ways. Um, I had, I had about 21 or more personalities and they were all, and if you study internal family systems, you know, they say we all have roles and we all have, and, and Richard Swartz in, in a video, he says really dissociation is an exaggeration. It's a, it's a complete, like push it over the edge of what we normally do. And so the abuse and the continued abuse makes us continue to compartmentalize and put in boxes. And But each of my little children who were created as a result of trauma, they all had a very distinct personality and you meet them in my books. And, and I love them. I, I When I write, I just feel them all gather in around me you know, and we just, we just take off and we write and, and uh, they bring me great joy now in their healed selves. And I, in the second book, I talk about what their life was like before healing and who they are now as a result of healing. And so now we're just, we just cooperate and I, you know, I don't shift and I don't, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But the media portrays that but is, which is a natural coping mechanism as, um, as a, well, we call, we call it a disorder. We say right. dissociative disorders. No, right. it's, it's like the most amazing thing. And most, most people who are dissociative are intelligent, brilliant people. Right. They're smart little kids and their subconscious was just working overtime to figure out how do I survive this? How do I get up? And I talk about in the second book that no child, I mean, somewhere, Peter Levine is probably doing the best job of helping people understand what, how to help children after trauma. Um, but um, to, to just have a traumatic experience, most children are just required to get up and keep living. Right. Okay, time to go to school, time to go to practice, time to, you know, and so, um, and so you, the child has to figure out how to survive that. Right. Compartmentalizing and, you know, which, and so dissociation is really on a spectrum that goes all the way from, I drove my car home and I don't remember how I got here. Right. All the way to, um, I just shifted and I'm no longer who I was a minute ago. Right. And, right. And my because therapist, I know I didn't have at least a term that I'm aware of and it never came up in EMDR, you know, other personas that are that were created to cope. Mine was to the compartmentalizing part of it right. and and the hovering, you know, like being away from and I did have a hover experience. You know, I have a horrific fear of bridges. Um, I can't drive over them. Um, there, well, there's a select few that I can make it over, but like if I get stuck on an overpass, you know, I'll have heightened anxiety. I used to have horrific panic attacks. Mm -hmm. Do what? Me and mountain roads right there. Yeah. yeah. I, yes. And so there's just, you know, there was just a trigger. Well, well, then when we went back in one of my sessions, when I was four, my mom in a, 
in an intoxicated state, attempted to drown me and my one-year-old sister in a bathtub and held our heads underwater. My dad came in and saved the day. But during that session, I was floating above our house and like looking down into the whole scene. And we lived in Northern Kentucky. I live in Cincinnati. And the I-75 bridge that connected Northern Kentucky to Cincinnati was just below our hill. Like you could look at down over it, over the Ohio River. And I, I started floating over that bridge. And so again, we, we made a correlation between bridges and my dissociative state during that particular trauma incident. And it was very fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. One of my triggers was Brussels sprouts. Wow. <laughs> right? I'm not giving it away. You'll have to read. <laughs> <laughs> Is it in Brave? Wait, um, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, and, uh, and some of the triggers, I mean, you, they don't, they don't make, and so when I hear somebody say, oh, I've never been able to do that, or that just, da, 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 you're like, it's connected to something. Right. And, yes. and the children are always connecting. So, so before we moved and we talked earlier about my recent move, which delayed this interview. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, we were by a construction site and my dog one day they came and we, they'd never done this before, but a huge truck with these massive boulders uh, came and dumped right next to where we were just boom. And so he connected the beep beep of the truck backing up with the boom. shaking the, and so, I mean, we had to work with him for months to get him over that. So that, I mean, that's how we connect stuff together. Yeah. It can be completely unrelated. Right. Right. We just, we connect those pieces together and they, and when they get hooked up with trauma and dissociation and, I mean, we can't even find it. And that's the beauty of EMDR, isn't it? Yes. Oh, again, things that would come up that I just, I had totally, totally, I don't want to say forgotten because it was certainly in there, but I had stored so far away. But man, when it came back, I was just, it came flooding and it was, I just knew it as truth. And it was just amazing. I think that that's a really important point to make is that uh, because people say, well, how did you know it was true that you didn't? Uh, uh, oh, I knew. Yeah. There was no, right. there was, no, I mean, sometimes I would leave and I'd be like, did I? And then, and then I remember the physical, uh, yes. it was happening in EMDR and I'm like, oh no, somebody does not make that up. No, right? no. And so, um, yeah, I never, I, I never doubted. It's really interesting because no one, not my family, not, and no one know, knew the story that I told in Brave, ever. No one. I had created this, this per person who walked around in the world and had never had an idyllic childhood, a mother who was, you know, had issues, but just not to the extreme that she did. And, and so... So when I was when I get ready to sign my contract with the publisher, I'm getting ready to tell the entire world this story, and would they believe me? 
it was a really terrifying moment. Yes, I'm right there. I'm in the middle of finishing a book and, you know, and I'm like, my story's so crazy. Like, even Hollywood's going to be like, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's just. You're going to be like. And here's the really odd thing is that, that um, my former students have been some of my best supporters. I mean, I taught college and, and I cared about them and, I, and they would come to my office and they would say, they would start talking and I, I would say something. She goes, they'd say, how do you understand this? And I'm like, I don't know. I just do. I just understand. I, you know, so, um, so I'm not, I have not had one single, I mean, maybe they're just kind and they're not saying it, but I've never had a person not believe me. Right. Right. Hey, did you notice that you came back around because you know the point that you were said you were you you lost it? You had said about signing the contract. <laughs> so I came back to You me. came back around. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because because I I don't think at the time um so this person that I was in the group with, she was a publisher and she contacted me. And I said, I said, I'm not sure it's the book you want to publish. I mean, I went to her website and I was like, you know, you, yeah, I'm not sure. She goes, well, will you send me the manuscript and let me decide? I mean, I did everything not to publish, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, so I sent it to her on a Thursday and she offered me a contract on Monday. Wow. And um, I actually include a poem that she wrote in the second book. After she finished Brave, she wrote a poem, and I include it in the second book. And so Kathy Lawton, Kledak Publishers, and they have just been, they've been my support group. They have, they've just been, they've been wonderful. Wonderful. So, um, Sammy's so, saying hi. Hi, Sam. <laughs> He's hearing stuff going on outside. That's right. She's like, there's some activity happening. I know. Normally the dogs are very well behaved, but we have spring break teenagers hanging out at the house. So something must be happening. <laughs> Look at you. So, yeah, uh, she's cute, baby. Yeah, so that was the end of that contract thing. Was All right. Sent out a single proposal. And um, I don't know that I could have. I, right rejection just typical rejection from publishers was too tied to my healing at that point yes so i feel like you know i feel like god just said no you can't do that let's just, let's just have you let's just publish it and see where it goes and so um i had someone write me last week um from my website and anyone can go to my website and contact me through there and uh, she sent me an email and she said that um, she's in, that she was in therapy and that her therapist, um, who I do not know, uh, in some state that I, I'm not even connected with, had told her that she should read my books. Oh, and so how cool is that? Yes. And so there's some really, um, you know, every once in a while, I just, I get a, I get just a glimmer, you know, just this little oh my goodness, it's out there and it's, <laughs> yes. And it's changing. You know, I have people write me and say, I, I made an appointment with a therapist because I read your book and I think that I, I think that there's hope for me to heal. And so, I mean, that's just been, oh my goodness, such an incredible part of this journey. And that day that I sat on the couch, if I could just tell one person, I mean, my vision was this big. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I get it. 
Yes. And you just said, you said, if I could just, you know, give someone hope for to heal, because I write a monthly newsletter and it's called Hope for Healing. And yeah, that's, that's my whole point is to offer if, if any, in this podcast, you know, is to, I told you beforehand, shine your light of hope because that's what's so desperately needed for people who have been through trauma. Um, you know, I know at the beginning of your book, you talk about, you know, the statistics of, you know, if you put 100 people in the room, um, chances are, you know, 20 to 25 of them, um, you know, women, it's one out of four, right? Yes. And one out of seven for for males. And which, I think is, which I think is actually... Um, not realistic because they don't report. Exactly. Which is just terrifying and horrible. Yes. yes. I mean, who's doing this? <laughs> like, I just stop. Stop. I know. And, and the thing, it, it's all healing. I mean, I had to come to terms with why was it, what, what was in the mind of my perpetrators? Right. When they decided that doing this to a three-year-old child was something they should get up, that they should do that day. Right. It it wasn't just, I mean, it uncovered in layer after layer after layer. Right. I I didn't get to the whole, you can't handle getting to the whole thing at once. And I I think that um, therapists who do EMDR, I mean, they need to, they need to be cautious about that and really have skill and practice, you know, super right. They need to go through because if you open up too much too quickly, it will drown the, drown the client. And so the skill of my therapist to contain that afterwards. And I've heard some stories where it wasn't contained where you yes. didn't snack in a box and you send the person out and it's, you know, Oh, you know, we always put mine in a, we put um, it in its little safe box and to go back in it needs, yes. to, it needs to be contained you need to be yes. and, um so anyway i i the the but the hope the i mean i signed my books like that i lost my train of thought again right there okay <laughs> but, <laughs> this is why i love our conversation <laughs> you'll be like oh you came back to it <laughs> oh yeah we'll come back around it's all good and I do. I sign my books a lot. Hope for healing. Oh, that makes that's my heart cool. happy. I know. So that's why, because I saw I connected with you off of um, Aces. Yeah. Connection, right? Yeah. And I saw. I looked you up. I checked you out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is something. This is something that goes along with you know what I'm trying to do. Right? Yes. Uh, healing, and. Um, and so I think my books, my books, I was so careful. I don't, I have, in telling my story, I understand that some people get, will be triggered. I understand right. that. I, I'd but say you, that right up front. Yeah, and I was going to say, I, I know I saw a trigger warning and yes. you said, and I loved the way you said it because it was just so, it was just real, was get help. Like seek, seek um, you know, therapy or counseling. I, I'm not, I don't remember the exact wording that you used, but I wrote it and I don't remember. <laughs> That's editing. You know, they'll change I things. I go back up. and read Brave again. I'm like, well, that was good. <laughs> All right. So, yes, because um, our society has generally shied away from feeling uncomfortable. 
Okay. And so I know that, I know that my openness, well, sometimes people look at me and they said, you did this. And I, my generation doesn't talk. I mean, they just, they generally, right. I mean, lots of my friends have come to me and said, but I'm, and this happened to me too, but I'm never, I'm never writing brave. I just want to tell you that. And I'm like, well, nobody, I wrote brave. Right. <laughs> right. And so, um, but the, that, that they, it's so that talking about it, this is the only way that these generational patterns end is for us to be open for us yes. to, to yes. talk about it into um, the silence is killing us. And it, it's, it's enabling our silence enables the perpetrators. Correct. They're not held accountable. And we've seen that in, how many church scandals now right right because right. they were seen as as set apart and 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 they they got by with it and i think it's important that in in my in my story and i never name anyone because that to me i could have but to me that would have distracted from my purpose i'm not saying that no one should i'm just saying for my choice was not to and so, um, and if I felt like that anyone was still in danger, then I would have named. Right. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. That's yeah, I don't name, I don't name in mine either. But, but like you, the way, the way I've set mine up is I tell my trauma, I tell a trauma story in a chapter, like at the beginning, don't name names, but I don't want it. I don't want the trauma to be the focus. I want the hope to be the focus. Right. But then I move on to a lesson learned within that, you know, like empowerment or bravery or strength, um, you know, something that I, a gift that I found within that chaos. And then I give exercises that I utilized along my healing journey, right. you know, from yoga to meditation, you know, and I talk about those kinds of things and I, I offer those to the readers. So, right. but right. yeah, it's not about, it's not about, the, I don't want by naming them it almost gives them power yeah power exactly and so by leaving them these nameless entities right. um, that I just talk about as part of my story it, but then again I I move on to like that happened there's nothing I can do to undo it but here's how I healed it and here's what I learned from it and yeah. And, and a big part of mine, and that's what my mission statement is, is I take that <clears throat> and I talk about this is how attachment played into this. And this is how the trauma got embedded, which the body, um, the body keeps the score by best. Yes. I mean, that was a huge, huge part of my healing journey because, because I saw, oh, uh, all of these things. And in fact, two years ago, my daughter and I, and, and our story is another part of healing. Um, and, uh, and so and when you find out your mom, by the way, there were three of me that raised you. I mean, that's just, that's right. right. So anyway, um, but we did a conference at the attachment and trauma conference two years ago. And we talked about um, trauma sensitive math because we're both math educators. And, um, and I realized along the way, all of the ways that my learning had been affected. I, I'm a terrific compensator. And I, I actually became a math teacher for, you know, basic college level stuff. 
um, not even basic college level, kind of a overview topical approach to math, which I did as a teacher educator too. So I never want anybody to think I'm a mathematician. <laughs> uh, please don't. Uh, but I love math and she does too. And she's a uh, elementary um, assistant principal up here in Washington. And so we went together and did this. It was a great part. We went to Washington DC together and spoke and, and we talked about um, ways that math can be taught to help these kids that their brains have been affected by trauma. So that's kind of a whole nother piece of what I do is the, the education side of it. Yeah. And, um, and I may have an opportunity to talk to, um, future therapists in training, which I don't want to say much about it, but I'm like, oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Very cool. So I have, I have one last final question for you. I can't believe it. like we've gone an hour. Oh my goodness. <laughs> which is awesome. I don't want to stop because there's about 50 other things I could talk to you about, but I have to ask you my favorite question, which is, okay. If you could meet anyone in the world, dead or alive, to help you along your continued journey, who would it be? Okay, so that was so funny because when I saw that, I'm like, I don't know who wants to answer that question because I, <laughs> I can come up. So I'm, I'm scrolling right now on my iPad because I don't want to leave one. Because I couldn't decide on one, right? <laughs> All right. That's I was, good. I, I can't. I can't. Um, so I've already mentioned Bessel van der Kolk. Yes, and, and so so for the the purpose of learning, like I just, I just want to sit down and and share my story, and I, that would be everything to me to have a conversation with him and to talk to him about how the body keeps the score helped me on my journey. That would be a dream come true. I talk about that book when I give my presentations because it is yeah. very powerful. Yes. Yeah, wouldn't you love to sit down and have a conversation with him? Yeah. So, um, so then, okay, I am not at the right place. So then <laughs> if I, if I wanted to talk about, if I wanted to talk to people that are also spreading hope and spreading understanding and, and would, and would take brave and get it out there to more people. So more people can heal. I, it's not about selling books. I don't make that much when I sell them. Right. right. It's not about that. It's about the hope. Right. Well, then it would have to be Oprah, Ellen, and Brene Brown, right? <laughs> you know, if I, could, if I could sit down and have a conversation with them, right, and tell them, share how excited I am about all the healing that's taking place because of my book. I just... Oh, you know, my gosh. Yeah, when um, Oprah okay, did that... Slide, right? Oh, there's yeah. one more because... Are you familiar with um, Dr. Bruce Perry? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. When, when Oprah did that interview on CBS yeah. 60 Minutes with Dr. Bruce Perry and talked about ACEs, I, I was literally like, you know, like, whoa, because, you know, I had just discovered, I had been a part of the ACEs Connection community and discovered, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And her talking about it just brought it to the forefront of the mental health scene. It did. It did. I, I, um, when I found out, in fact, I was up here in Washington at my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's, and I was like, we have to watch this. Everyone's sitting down. We're going to watch this, you know. And so, um, because it did, it brought it into mainstream. And yeah. that's why Oprah's interview did that, brought it into mainstream. And right. 
and that was when I got introduced really to to Bruce Perry. Okay, and have you read his book, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog? I have not read it. Oh, okay. So, so um, amazing. And one of the things he says at the end, which I want to say, which is what I would love to have a conversation with him about, is he, he does the same thing. Why are we in such a mess? Why do we have so many hurting kids? Why, why are our schools filled with these behaviors? You know. And one of the things that he says is that um, we've lost the extended family structure. And I think like you talking about how your grandmother was there for you when yeah. your parents could not be, okay? But we've moved away and we've broken up that extended family and we're not. And so now that was part of our plan eventually was to move here because we share a house with my daughter and her two children, our grandchildren. And that was one of the reasons that we did that. And so when I read that in his book, I'm like, oh, I want to sit down and talk to him about that because I really do believe that that's playing a part is that we've lost those intergenerational connections and um, and they're so important when when a parent can't do it that there's someone else there that can right right yeah so there's my whole list <laughs> all right that's a great list right <laughs> or just bring them all together and have like this great powwow could we you know how they you know if i had a you know a a survivor's dream, you know, somebody fulfilled the dreams of survivors, right? Yes. Oh, right, right. That would be like, oh, we're going to have, we'll meet at a coffee house and we'll all sit around the table. With <laughs> that would be awesome. Can I come too? Oh, yes, I'll have you come. Have yes. You. I'll just sit, the, I'll just sit and be very quiet. And <laughs> oh, no, I don't think that's possible. I know, I don't think it's possible either. <laughs> Oh, well, this has been absolutely delightful. And again, I could talk to you probably for another four hours on air um, and still cover a lot of stuff. But I know yeah. I'm going to often say I should have said this and I should have said this and I should have. But I could just say I say it. I say it the, everything the way I want to want to say it in my book. So please. Read yes. It. I can't guarantee I said it right today, but I can guarantee that I said it the way I wanted to in my book. So everybody, go right, go get the book. I'll have it on here on on video. So, um, so yeah. So, how do people get a hold of you? How do people get a hold of the book? So, my website is janine.org, J-A-N-Y-N-E dot org, and um, if you go there on the contact page, and uh, and and I I respond. People are like, "Oh, you responded to me." Well, yeah, I respond. Yeah, I respond. Yeah. So. Um, so that that's the best way to to get in. And also, I'm on on Amazon. I have an author page, so you can follow me. And I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter. Not not real good with Twitter yet. Me either. I'm trying. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's just like a learning curve. Uh, Instagram. I have an Instagram account. I do nothing with it. I think it has one picture. <laughs> See, and I do Instagram more than Twitter because I. My my middle child, he makes fun of me, you know, with my my tweeting, twitting, twittering. I don't even know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. So all of those really are, um, you know. I have an author page on, um, and I and pretty much if people friend me, and I I realize that they've read Brave, I friend them, you know. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, because I just want them because I. I teach all the time. I can't help it. So Right. I got you. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to address before we 
part ways? I, um, I think I want to say to those who believe that if, if they ever told their story, they would be completely rejected. Um, it's a terrifying thing because your perpetrators tell you you're, you know, you have so many embedded internalized messages. And I believe that. I believe that, that I was, in fact, I had someone monitoring my, my um, email on my website because I thought people would say awful things to me. Why did I think that? Right. That's all part of the trauma that you believe that. And so I want to say to anyone that's afraid to tell their story, I didn't begin by writing Brave. I found one friend that I told. I found a therapist. I found my husband who was very supportive, has been supportive. I find one person you can trust and tell them your story and start to break free from the silence. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yes. And I've found, and you know, my audience knows, but when I started finally um, putting my story out there, and it was on Facebook, you know, to all of my friends and family, I was overwhelmed with the amount of people who either texted me or called me or, or messaged me privately, you know, like private messenger to say, oh my gosh, me too, or thank you so much for putting your story out there. Or, and now the responses that I get, you know, are, I've only had one person that I ever had to unfriend because of the very nasty comments that were made. And I, it wasn't, you know, I sent her a message saying, you know, I respect your opinion, but, um, and then it just got nastier. And so I just, for my own self-protection, right. just ended that. Um, my world and I can do what I want. That's exactly. Really yeah, no, this is my story. And if my, if my truth makes you uncomfortable, that's not my fault. Right. You know, that's, that's something she's going to have to deal with. But, um, yeah, so, no, but the response has been incredibly overwhelming and supportive. And how many people you do help by sharing your story. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You, 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 can't, you can't know that on that other side. Of right. Where, you know, you just, you can't, people can tell it to you. Well, you don't know my family or you don't know my brother. You know, you don't yes, know. Right. Years have been an, an absolute wonderful support for me even though I told the story of our mother right yeah and I, actually, I actually dedicate um brave to my mother for the person that she was never able to be oh and so um that's all part of the story it's like bookends the dedication and the um, epilogue are kind of tied together and so um I feel like she's cheering in heaven because I'm helping people where she could never receive help and so, yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I thank you for being brave. I thank you for sharing your story, shining your light of hope. Um, yes, and helping others along their healing journey. I like to think of it as those of us who have been through the darkness or returned back into the darkness, I guess, and have come into the light, you know, is reaching our hands out to others who are still, you know, and don't know struggling. Don't know that there's so much goodness on the earth. Right. Exactly. So thank you for extending that hand of hope. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on this interview so that I could spread the word. Absolutely. My, my honor or my joy. So yes. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us on the Healing Place podcast. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourselves.
Thanks. Bye-bye.